Have a need for new and exciting products? Zero3D.com takes a clean slate approach to design and manufacturing. Zero3D.com features a wide variety of innovative products for the Harley Touring Market and other Harley Big Twins such as the Softail and Trike models. Zero3D's product line includes parts for performance, comfort, and lighting. You'll be getting components of great quality and are affordable for the rider. Because we are riders, we have a passion for design and innovation, and there is always something new to see at Zero3D.com. All of our products offer easy installation. With the proper tools and a little experience, you'll be able to get a part or accessory from Zero3D on the bike with no welding, grinding, or cutting. At Zero3D, we also have a design team with over 40 years of experience, and because our story is deeply tied to motorcycles, we offer great customer service when you need it. And Zero3D's design team is at all the big rallies where we are talking to riders and are working with riders face-to-face. Zero3D products are distributed in the United States by Drag Specialties, in Europe by Parts Europe and Zodiac, and in Asia by Twin Art. Check at your local Harley dealer and ask for Zero Parts. Visit Zero3D.com or call us at 715-808-808. 0027 if you have any questions about any Zero3D.com product. Design is the landscape of the mind, where innovation dwells. We are Zero, zero Zero3D.com. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 99 of the Motorcycle Men podcast. I am Ted, here in the corner booth at the V-Twin Cafe once again. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to this show. And, of course, thank you for listening to all of the Motorcycle Man episodes. 50% of all contributions via Patreon and direct donations will be donated to VetRest. And as you know, VetRest helps support our veterans who live with post-traumatic stress. And we here at the Motorcycle Men are doing our part to make sure our servicemen and women are taken care of. So your donation and contribution to the podcast also benefits them. If you'd like to help our vets, you can also make a one-time contribution by clicking on the Donate button on the homepage at www.motorcyclemen.us, or you can click on the Subscribe button there as well if you would like to make a monthly donation. Either way, in any case, uh, anything you donate would be greatly appreciated. Zero3D, our sponsor, has released our new 80-page online catalog of motorcycle accessories and comfort performance parts for your big twin They have a lot of great stuff over there, so make sure you check them out and tell them that the Motorcycle Men sent you. In that case, any of the sponsors and anybody we talk about here on the Motorcycle Men podcast, please patronize them and let them know that we sent you and recommended that they come and see you. And please let us know. All right. Now, if there is one thing that the Motorcycle Men like to do, it's ride. And we also like to share our stories and talk about the riding, talk about the destinations and the journey itself. And one of the things that I enjoy the most about doing this podcast is getting the opportunity to speak with other riders who have gone above and beyond when it comes to riding, be that long distance, endurance or adventure riding. Those long distance riders know how to capture this guy's imagination and stir up dreams of a long journey. My guest today is one such rider. Good evening. This is Ted, Motorcycle Man Podcast. This is episode 99, and I am interviewing tonight Mr. Glenn Baker, who is up in Revelstock, British Columbia, world traveler, motorcycle dude. Hello, Glenn. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Ted. Thank you very much for having me, Matt. How are you doing, sir? Very well, very well, yeah. yeah. How, how's, things day, up in, uh, how's things up in British Columbia? Black, uh, I'm a little bit nervous. But, uh, nervous? For what? Well, to get back on the bus. Oh, well, okay. uh, it's just like anything else. Once you get back on, it's, it's, you're back to normal. It works, right? Yeah, I mean, it's great to be home. I just got back uh, from my recent trip, I guess. Uh, what, nearly two weeks ago? Finished my ride. So uh, it's, it's different. Life being back in... British Columbia is, uh, you know, it's it's okay, but uh, it's home, right? 
It is home. It's been home for a few years, but uh, clearly I'm not from here originally. Right. Uh, how's the weather there right now? No, it's uh, cloudy, to be honest. We, you know, being living in a rainforest, uh, it, it can be tough sometimes. So we get the uh, the bad weather. Oh, I, get, I guess you would. Um, what, what are the temperatures like right now? Um, well, very varied. Uh, each day is kind of different. It's not great riding weather. Um, people would say, I no? guess, it's, yeah, you know, at the moment it's meant to be summer, but it hasn't quite uh, arrived for us yet. So you don't have snow, um, do you? It snowed in uh, Banff yesterday, which is a couple of hours from here. Ah, no, that's not good. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's not fantastic, but uh, I've adapted, you know, yeah, different styles. Although <laughs> with the uh, the Triumph I'm riding at the moment, I don't have heated grips. Because I was riding uh, in the south. Yeah. Well, heated uh, grips do come in handy. All right. So yeah, I'll tell you what. Why don't Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where you're from? What What you do? And and what you're riding? Okay. Um, yeah. So my name's Glenn, and I uh, grew up in Australia. I've been riding around the world for the last, uh, you could say, five or six years. Really, the last three years full time. Um, and I just got back from a. 20,000-kilometer trip around North America. Wow. I've been riding a uh, Triumph Speed Triple, um, which I converted into an adventure motorcycle. To uh, I, don't, I don't ride any highways or um, or anything, so I try and stick to the back roads and do a lot of dirt riding okay. um, and camping as I go and, and just sort of live on the road, really, full-time. So do a lot of um, photography and um, yeah, just try and explore, explore, and see what there is to offer. Is that now? Is that the bike that's uh, on the cover of your homepage of your website? Um, yes, it is. <laughs> I changed that photo, so it's oh, hard to remember. Okay, yeah. yeah. So you got some big knobbies on there. So yeah, you're you're certainly equipped for riding, definitely off road. Wow. Yeah, that's it's really a- cool. That is really cool. Yeah, I, I see you didn't put like panniers on that or anything. Uh, well, that is a new addition. So that the oh, current yeah? you know, on the website is taken down near Coco's Corner. Uh, if you're familiar with the Baja Peninsula, you, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of riders visit Coco. Yeah. So that was um, that was last November, I guess. I was down in the Baja. Um, at the time, I was riding, yeah, very very minimal. And actually, I just uh, left riding. Uh, spent a couple of weeks with my friend Tim, and. Um, yeah, he, he had left me, so I just had the back, the tail bag, uh, my tank bag and my backpack and was uh, hitting the road, and camping you, on the And the, off you uh, went. Yeah, that's it, exploring the Sea of Cortez. And it was incredibly hot last uh, November <laughs> when I was there. So, Well, I'll tell you what, why don't you tell us a little about West Coast Wanderer and then we'll get into your trip. Okay. Um, yeah, so... West Coast Wanderer, it's evolved quite a lot over the years. Um, it all started with um, my best friend and I doing a little bit of charity riding, I guess. Um, we wanted to give back to our local community and we wanted to, you know, kind of be a part of something a little bit bigger than just, just traveling anymore. So we we began kind of this idea that West Coast Wanderer could be a non-profit organization that... Uh, yeah, because we were both from the West Coast and we were both traveling on motorbikes, um, it just evolved from there. And uh, uh, eventually, a few years uh, in the future, uh, well, now in the past, but um, we decided to you know, try and travel around North America. But uh, because of the situation that we were in, Richie couldn't follow me at the time, so I came out here by myself. And um, I, I kind of threw the idea out there to do some uh, some off-road touring and actually running a business. And um, the name West Coast Wanderer was a bit synonymous with adventure at the time. Okay. So I kind of adapted that into the business idea to do tours. And um, it's now it's become more like a, an identity because now, because it is just me, it's, you know, it's West Coast Wanderer is me. So Oh, there you go. It went from a non-profit to a tour business, to just being a writer profile, really. So um, a tour business. Yeah, yeah I still. Um, so I mean, at the at the moment, I'm sort of in West, uh, 
in the, on the west coast of Canada trying to um, get my uh, permanent residency sorted out because I'm not a Canadian citizen yet. But um, the idea was to start my own adventure motorcycle tour company riding mm-hmm. all around the country in Canada. Oh, wow. Now, there you go. Now, you got some... You got definitely have some backcountry riding to do up there. That's amazing. I mean, I came here what four years ago, and I obviously Revelstoke's very famous for its uh, winter sports, mm-hmm. um, sort of snowmobiling, skiing, backcountry skiing. Um, but uh, really, I, I bought a, a KLR after the winter finished. I bought a Who KLR. Who doesn't own a KLR, and, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, if you don't have one, you're not really riding. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, I bought the KLR because, you know, obviously that was the, the normal thing to do. And um, <laughs> it's, a, it's expected of you is what you're saying, right? <laughs> I was new here, so I didn't really know what I was getting into. <laughs> it was more like a uh, welcome to the family kind of thing. Yeah. And um, But then and, you smartened up and you got the Tiger. Uh, well, I don't ride a Tiger. I've got the Speed Triple. So, oh, that, you know, oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. A lot of people do, you know, when I say I ride a Triumph, they just sort of associate Triumph and adventure riding with, with the Tiger, which is, is an amazing motorcycle and I love it. But, um, but you have the yeah, speed triple instead. Yeah, I, I just, um, I mean, that's a, a different story. Obviously, like, that was something that evolved from the childhood fantasy uh-huh. was to uh, to ride the Baja Peninsula and own a Triumph Tiger, uh, right. Triumph Speed. Triple, sorry, and um, I just thought I could do both at the same time. Well, let's let's jump around a little bit. I'm I'm, I'm gonna I mean, while we're talking about it, let's just jump to this. Why? What made you pick the Speed Triple over any other bike? Um, well, I mean, there is there is a few unique design features I love about the Speed Triple. Okay, and actually, when um, when when the speed triple sort of was on the radar, I was looking around at Ducati monsters and, and those kind of naked sports bikes. Um, yeah, I had, because they are adventure bikes, right? <laughs> this is before, right? This is when I lived, you know, in Australia, right. and actually, adventure riding to me um, was very new, you know. And um, obviously, pioneers, guys like you and McGregor, were, were mm-hmm. big influences um, in that sort of industry. Um, but for me, adventure riding didn't even wasn't even on my radar back wow. then. Or about uh, you know just the the look of the bike. Uh, you know, I was only a young young guy. I didn't know anything about living on a motorcycle. Right. And, um, so I kind of just took the um, that kind of idea about riding adventure riding that I got from riding the KLR, mm-hmm. and I I just kind of I really wanted a. a um, to ride the speed triple, you know. Yeah. So, I, I just didn't know how I was going to put those two things together. And um, I guess in the end, I came out with the dirt triple, which uh, <laughs> what you see on my cover page of my website. Yeah, so. it's a, a scrambler dirt triple. I, it just it's a new bike. It, it'll it'll be out on the market next year, right? Oh yeah. Well, you know, Yamaha's taken their their um what is it the uh, the YZ is it, and uh, now they've closed that up. I've opened up something else. They can, <laughs> they can uh, adapt their, you know, the R6 into an adventure bike. There you go. See, well, so how, how, so how did the, well, you did. So you're originally from Australia now. Now, did you do some riding down there? Um, not not a great deal. I mean, I I rode dirt bikes as a kid growing up on the farm. Mm-hmm. I had. Um, you know, I, I had a few little dirt bikes, and, and it was always a hobby. Um, I tried racing some motocross. Um, most of my friends broke half the bones in their body, so I got out of that pretty pretty quickly. And um, it wasn't really until I, I bought a Ninja 750 um, without a motorcycle <laughs> license or any insurance or anything, which I don't uh, what? I don't recommend to do. Why would you do that? <laughs> and if you see a really nice fancy motorbike yeah. you just uh, you gotta have it you know right <laughs> so uh, it wasn't until i was uh, sort of you know in college that i decided that i wanted to get back into riding motorbikes and so I, that was my reintroduction into into the sport um i always loved bikes but yeah. you know they can be expensive and at the time i no. was 
I was dropping out of college and doing marketing and getting into an apprenticeship as an electrician. So, you know, money wasn't wasn't uh, readily available. I understand. So, I understand. Uh, so now you now you've done some traveling around the world. Did that traveling involve a motorcycle? And like, tell us where you went. Um, yeah. So I mean, tra- traveling really. Um, it's a big part of most Australians' lifestyle. Like, I find it's a very uh, ingrained part of our culture is to travel, and I think that really has developed um, kind of from the fact that we are an island nation. You know, we don't border any other countries. I mean, yourself living in America, you've got Canada above you or Mexico below you. So I think because Australians don't have that, we, we have a feeling that we have to leave our country to travel or see the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing country. It's very big. But to see new cultures, we have to travel. There's no choice. Right. So, so for me as a young guy, um, yeah, the, the, the common choice is Asia. It's very cheap. It's very close. Um, going to Indonesia is like going to Mexico for most Americans. <laughs> Okay. Maybe not as scary or as confronting, perhaps. All right. But uh, it's definitely very common. So for us to disappear into Asia, it's uh, it's really close. So you know, riding motorcycles, um, it was it was really a financial choice to begin with because it was so much cheaper to get around. Oh sure. Like oh, to yeah. rent a bike in Thailand costs you five bucks a day, and you can explore wow. the country, and you know, it just made sense. Okay. Economically. <laughs> So it all began riding mopeds around Thailand and then Indonesia. And then you know, as you get more confident and you learn more about these countries, you start exploring them further. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and convenient, well, you know, fortunately for Australians, we get a month off every year as part of our jobs, you know. What? Like a month <laughs> off? Yeah, wow, you've got to take a month off. Oh, know? my God. No way. A month off. That, yeah, it, you're going to have four weeks off. At least. <laughs> At least. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. You know, in, in that four weeks, you can travel quite a lot. And, uh, yeah, and, and obviously um, tying in with the West Coast Wanderers thing, eventually I wanted to start doing a little bit of charity riding and um, some things that were really close to me and important to, with with the, the charity was, um, along with HIV awareness and research, um, was the Cancer Council of Australia. So. Okay. I wanted to incorporate those things into what I was doing so that I could raise awareness, but also, you know, potentially raise money to, to help. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it, it all sort of began there with riding uh, the Ho Chi Minh Trail through through Vietnam and wow. riding from, uh, northern Thailand to Singapore. And and you did this uh, on, on rental bikes? On, on Yeah, on rental bikes. Or, I mean, you can, uh, if, you, if you're crossing into... Other borders sometimes it doesn't work out as yeah. as easily, but, um, but uh, yeah, even in Thailand, you know, I rented a bike in northern Thailand and rode through Malaysia into Singapore. Wow, and back, you know, it's uh, that was on a scooter, so you know, oh, you, wow. can, you can and do it, a lot of things. I believe, it. you know, that was a few years ago now, and, and I've been told and read on some of the adventure forums that there is some slight restrictions on doing that um, with motorcycles now some stuff so yeah oh, that maybe you, that it, that you can't little, take your own motorcycle is that what you're saying or you can with the rented bike oh the rented ones so people, people will have new information i'm not too yeah. sure about works now so this is why you got to use your own bike next time right well that hasn't that hasn't really been a an issue for me so okay. i haven't you know until i rode the uh, the triumph speed triple i hadn't really crossed any borders on my own bike because in australia you can ride everywhere yeah, and pretty much so it was never really an issue right. um yeah all right now so then you came over to then you came over to canada and then you decided you were going to ride around north america and you did a twenty thousand mile ride so why don't you tell us a little bit about that well um yeah i mean i spent the last three summers riding mostly the pacific northwest and, and, you know, generally when you're riding off-road, you, you're sort of going only one or 200 miles a day, potentially even less if you're riding in the mountains. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, riding 15,000 kilometers in, the, in one summer off-road can take a, a while. Um, yeah. So 
you know, I was developing a business and trying to um, sort of get itineraries and tours organized. Um, and then I found, uh, so it, it was all originated around one of the rides I did last summer. I, I took the KLR and I rode um, British Columbia up to the towards the Yukon and then down around Vancouver Island, uh, Washington, and then back. So, you know, it was about 7,000 kilometers. So it's still a big trip, but mostly off-road. So, you know, it took me about seven weeks, you know, at, at some pace to ride that. Um, I hadn't really been associated with the backcountry discovery routes and that kind of thing. So for me, I was kind of mapping it out as I went. Um, but on that trip was when I sort of realized hey, some of these paved roads are amazing. Like, it would be fantastic to ride, you know, something that's street-based a little bit more comfortable than a KLR to ride ah, on. Ah, okay. <laughs> and you know, when you're riding, you really you, you spend a lot of time thinking, right? And if you've got seven weeks alone, inevitably you're going to start daydreaming about some of the things <laughs> you fantasize about. <laughs> and um, and I discovered, well, you know, the triple had always been on my mind since they since they had uh, introduced them in, in and triumph had started creating this this beautiful naked sports bike and. Um, I thought, what a what better way to see America than on the bike I'd always dreamed about riding. Wow, see? So, you know, over over a few days, I, I realized that maybe this is something that was possible, you know, whether I had the money and the time and everything else to to do it. And, um, yeah, I, I got back to Revelstoke, and I started looking around at some of these speed triples, and I thought, you know what? You only live once, right? Right. Why not ride the best bike in the world that you really want That's on the it. road, uh, you know, that you really yeah. want to go. And if, so you, I, if you love the bike you're riding, it, there's there's not, there's never anything wrong with it, right? Obviously, obviously, it came with a little bit of, um, you know, uh, resistance from some of the motorcycle uh, fraternity, I guess. Ah, you know, the, don't listen to them. Guys, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of guys who were like, why don't you just ride a, a Tiger? You know, it's developed for this. It's, it's the, you know, that's the perfect bike for you. Yeah, but that's yeah. not your perfect bike. Well, that was the, that was what I answered. You know, I, I just didn't really understand why I shouldn't do it. So, it, and conveniently, I found the exact bike. Mm-hmm. You know, every all the stars lined up for me, and um, you know, I went about buying the bike and. Sort of equipping it with a few few uh, adventure modifications, sure, um, to allow me to, you know, really sort of adventure out there and you know right. be able to do some of the things I wanted to do because it was important for me at the time to, you know, hit some of these really famous roads and you know explore the backcountry as well as you know staying on some of the pavement. Right, hey, you need to put more pictures of this speed triple on your website because people yeah, want to see the bike. We want to see the bike. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it is pretty popular on social media. Like there is there is stuff out there on Facebook and Instagram. And um, for the for the guys who follow me, uh, as I've been riding, um, yeah, I get a lot of feedback. So, you know, there's there's a pretty, um, uh, I don't know, a, a pretty big group of people who are following the bike already. <laughs> following um, the bike and not you, right? <laughs> oh man, I just I just ride it. You know, like the bike does speaks for itself. But wow. um, it's a it's a pretty unique sort of thing, and um, fortunately, you know, it's, it's come with a lot of positive feedback from guys, and right. I've, I've I've started to actually see um, now pe- people sort of realizing the potential of these machines and not being restricted to what they feel like they have to ride. Exactly, exactly. You know, me being a part of that uh, movement is you know is a huge part of why I continue to ride and. You know, I'm being involved in that community. Well, that's great. You know, like, like you said, you know, you, you find the bike that you like, and that's the bike that does it for you. And regardless of what kind of paces you're going to put it through, that's your bike, and you're going to love it no matter what it does. And yeah. you found the bike for you, and that's great. So you don't you don't need to go to a Tiger or something adventure. You've done that for yourself. That's great. That's really cool, though. So the bike has been performing really well for you on the whole trip, right? Yeah, it's done really excellent. I mean, I flawless basically i haven't had any issues besides uh you know the the things that i've done to it <laughs> okay. but, but mechanically it's been fantastic so i mean it, it was 
a big concern of mine because I was I knew I was going to be pushing it to some of its boundaries and I was going to be taking a speed triple that places where speed triples had never been. Right. You know? And um, I, I was a little bit concerned because until then, I, my experience doing wrenching on motorbikes um, kind of really relied heavily around uh, carbureted motors and very simple single-cylinder yeah. motors. Nothing with electronics, nothing fuel-injected. Um, you know, I was really sort of pushing my knowledge of motorcycles, you know, and that that scared me a little bit okay. because, I, like, if something goes wrong, I was confident I could perhaps learn it, but yeah. I didn't know anything about it. Okay. So, you know, but... Thankfully, there's there's a massive community out there now online and um, and also just in person as well. The amount of people that I met who came up to me and talked to me and wanted to help or be a part of it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they really they helped me. And I'm pretty certain that anything that would have or could have happened uh, were things that I could deal with on the road. You know. So was the fuel injected triple a breath of fresh air to what you've been used to? Uh, certainly some of the uh, twisty roads up at high altitudes um, wouldn't have been quite as comfortable had I been riding a KLR or any <laughs> kind of thing built on a big, big thumper motor. I mean, yeah, I yeah. had uh, my buddy Tim. He, he followed me on my KLR when I left, when I left Canada. Uh, he had a couple of weeks to, to ride with me, so Tim took that opportunity to, to follow the speed triple and actually uh, explore parts of... Uh, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, through Utah, down into Arizona. So you did a good trip, and you know none of that was on interstates. It was all back roads. It was all back roads. Was it all dirt roads? Not all dirt roads. Mostly paved roads. We did do some dirt roads, mm-hmm. but uh, Tim wasn't a very like an experienced off-road rider, so he was a lot more nervous to, to go beyond. Um, and actually, like on about day two or three of the trip after leaving uh, Revelstoke, um, his chain came off the sprocket while we were off-road. Uh, we were in one of the national parks in northern Idaho, and so we, we got trapped off-road for a, for a night there, and, and you could tell, you know, he was he was more stressed out because he hadn't experienced that kind of stuff. Right. Um, you know, there's challenges there that uh, you forget about after you've been doing it for a few years. You become much more confident, much more comfortable, right. and you realize that any situation that arises, as long as you're fine, you'll get out of it. Right. You'll work your way through it. So now with this 20,000-mile trip you did around North America, tell us some about uh, some of the highlights that you had on that trip. Um, well, you know, set, sort of setting out, I didn't have a huge plan. No? <laughs> you, know? you didn't map this I, out? A lot of a lot of people they they spend so much time planning these trips and I guess I'd already planned a couple of big trips. Right. For me, like I kind of saw this as a really good opportunity to take it spontaneously and use use the this, the information I got along the way to kind of uh, manipulate the direction that I moved. Okay. So there was never any question about like you know I had to go here or I have to be here on this you know once. Um, once we got to Tucson, where Tim had to fly out of, like I was really flying by the seat of my pants, you know. Um, so we made our way through the Rockies. Um, unfortunately, it was quite a lot colder at um, that time of year than we had expected. Yeah. Um, I I struggled for a few days. The, the Speed Triple has no wind protection, has no hand guards, has no heated grips. No the KLR is much oh, better. You have no windshield either, do you? No windshield. It's a naked bike. Oh, uh, so. well, you got the little cowling on there. So, oh, that must that must have sucked. <laughs> so, um, it, it made for some interesting riding up at around ten thousand feet. Um, you know, some days you'd wake up and in the morning there was, you know, it was amazing to be able to wake up to some of these places that you explore. But you know, there was no doubt that there was moments of discomfort. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Wow. So, but that freedom allowed us to really explore places like Yellowstone National Park. You know, the backcountry is really important to me, but hitting some of those famous national parks through the U.S. was important. I mean, I don't know many guys that have been able to um, camp on the north rim of the Grand Canyon, film a sunset, mm-hmm. you know, 
you know, have their jet boil set up, eat dinner, go to sleep, wake up, film the sunrise and have no one else there, you know, and just have it all to yourself. A beautiful part of North America. Just, you know, things like that. You know, really that epitomized what I was out there doing, why I was doing it. Everything about the trip, you know, was special because of those funny moments, you know, and, you know, there's, there's really famous parts too. And it kind of made me, um, you know, it really established why people go to these lengths to go to these places. Yeah. You know, like, uh, you, you, you ride through Moab and there is no picture in the world. There is no video that captures it. You know, you really have to go there for yourself and mm-hmm. put yourself out there and, you know, everyone knows who rides motorbikes, you know, you really feel the environment, mm-hmm. you know, and that's part of what people, how they identify with riding, you know, because okay. you can smell the flowers, you can feel the heat, you know, if you go past a glacier and get that chill to your bone, yeah. you know, like those things, you know, whether people recognize or not that that's uh, what they're feeling, you know, that's all the reason why, you know, motorcycling is so different from it, from just hopping in a car and driving it. Around. Yeah, because you're actually you're actually in, involving yourself in your environment, doing it that way. You, you're using all your senses. Oh, you sure. know, not, not to mention you pay a lot more attention when you're riding a motorcycle. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> so, so you went into did you? So did you go into Moab? Yeah, yeah, we camped, and that was one of the few places um, that, that we kind of went. And you could really, um, you love, know, I love Moab. Oh, Moab's fantastic! It's a like great it, place. It's, um, yeah, it's a must-do. Oh yeah, if you live in America and that, you just you have to go there. Oops, one of my buddies is just arriving at the moment. Oh there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, now, did you have any specific inspiration for doing this ride? Um. Now you just wanted to go, right? <laughs> I'm inspired to, to travel anywhere and everywhere. So, I mean, I had, um, you know, I'd always really wanted to ride America, but until I lived over here, I'd never really understood, you know, what it meant to to the motorcycle community and what it meant to people to explore the country, you know. And yeah. obviously riding, like, and I think traveling around the world, um, most most people who have explored other countries or all their own, they, they really – begin to um well they they realize the important part is meeting all the people you know you can be in the most beautiful place in the world but if you're not there sharing it with people it's not quite the same okay so america for me was really getting involved with the riding community getting to meet up with a whole lot of guys um you know like yourself and and um anyone involved in in exploring their own country and uh, yeah, that, that was what inspired me, was to connect with people and and learn all about what it is to be riding in America, you know? All right. Uh, now, you camped a lot, didn't you? Camping was a big one. I mean, yeah. uh, it, it does begin um, for a lot of people to be an economical, uh, you know, financially motivated choice. Oh, sure. I mean, I've been living a long time on the bike and traveling, and by all means, I probably could have done this trip and stayed in hotels the whole way. But where's for the, me... Yeah, where's the fun in that? Well, I mean, it's a different kind of trip, right? Like, yeah. I, I, don't, um, I don't recommend it for everyone. It's not the, same, it's not the lifestyle that everyone would um, be able to be comfortable with. Certainly, some nights were very difficult. But for me to experience um, all these different places and give myself a lot of the challenges. You learn so much about yourself and the country by, you know, sleeping under the stars, spending that time alone. And um, certainly the, the actually the only hotel that we stayed in the entire trip was when I was with Tim. And uh, it's, it's kind of funny. It's one of the more memorable, uh, but probably not the uh, most positive uh, parts of the trip was when uh, we rode from Castlegar in British Columbia. And, uh, at the time, we didn't realize we weren't going to uh, hit another place to wash ourselves or bathe for quite a long time. So Tim Tim braved a cold river in Idaho. After, 
after about a week. Um, you didn't? I have, no, I took some good photos of him doing it, though. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, it was, it was uh, actually leading up to that was quite funny because we'd stayed in this town and um, we, we met up with a few locals and they said, oh, you know, you can camp like in the uh, where the ball diamonds and where the uh, little park is in town. You know, we encourage people to, to go down there by the river. And we were going to camp in the backcountry. But, you know, after we, we yeah. heard that, well, why don't we just have a few beers and sort of um, <laughs> make, our way, make our way to this uh, baseball ground. So, so we did. And, um, you know, thankfully, you know, it was in stumbling distance of the, uh, the local drinking hall. But, um, you know, we, we, we went down there and we set up our hammocks actually connected to the, what's it called, like the pit where the players in baseball go. Oh yeah, the bullpen. <laughs> okay, or, or oh the dugout. Okay, yeah. Dugout. Yeah. So we had hammocks connected to. I had one on one side of the dugout to the fence, and Tim <laughs> had the other side of the dugout to the fence, and um, you know because that was some nice strong poles for our hammocks because most of it was hammock camping, and um, but it turns out that the sprinklers came on during the oh. night. <laughs> Conveniently, my <laughs> hammock was positioned in a perfect spot to avoid the sprinklers. Tim wasn't so fortunate, so he got soaked in the middle of the night. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he'd already got wet, so he might as well get up at sunrise and uh, jump in the river. Oh, my God. So, you know, there are campgrounds that do have shower facilities. That's something you could have taken advantage of. (laughs) But uh, I don't know. It kind of became a personal challenge to avoid any kind of uh, normal human behavior. Okay. Was was there a lot of drinking on this trip? Well, not really. No, I mean, <laughs> we made our way to a couple of places, but um, really we just sort of rode. We were on um, a bit of a tight schedule with Tim's uh, flight being already oh, yeah. booked from Tucson. Okay. So, um, and because we broke down in Idaho, um, ended up you know fixing uh, all that at the back of a motorcycle shop. Yeah, it was quite funny yeah, seeing the you know the pictures because we didn't go into the shop. We were just using part of the shop to um, put some ratchet straps to hold the bike up, and, um, and yeah, we had to change the sprockets and the chain and stuff out. So that made for some interesting uh, social media. Oh, wow. <laughs> tell us about some of the challenges, like like fixing your bike or uh, your campsites or uh, your meals. Tell us some about some of that. Yeah, we decided not to um, prepare too many of our own meals this time, and it, it, it kind of came down to um, being involved with meeting people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we thought that if we're riding all these back roads and not camping and uh, not staying with, uh, you know, in accommodations, that we we kind of wanted to socialize and for us to to sort of you know meet these people in diners and have these conversations. Sure. It, the diner culture in America is kind of fascinating, isn't it? Isn't it awesome? Especially if you're Australian, right? Like, it just doesn't exist for us. Ah, so, missing out. So we, yeah, we missed out. And we thought, you know, this would be a really cool opportunity to try some of the local foods. And, you know, we were saving money on accommodation and gas by riding motorcycles and stuff. So, sure. um, yeah, for us, the, the food side of things, we, we tried to eat one good meal, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere during the day and just sort of snack. So, You'd think that would allow us to lose weight, but I put on about 15 pounds this trip. <laughs> but, uh, whether that was bigger or food, I'm not too sure, but uh, I'm going to just, uh, for the purposes of this interview, I believe it was the food. <laughs> I think you were hitting too many diners as well. I think you were doing. Yeah. Well, you've seen the size of the meals, you guys. Oh, yeah, my like, God, yes. Like, <laughs> if we were smart, we would have shared one, but, uh, you know. No, you can't do that. No. <laughs> yeah. Did but, uh, you have the chance? Did you have the chance? And you probably not. Have you ever heard of disco fries? That sounds like a party in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, you know, what, what, you know what, now you know what French fries are, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, disco fries. What that is is French fries with melted cheese on top and brown gravy. Oh, so it's like a Canadian poutine. I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, French Canadians, they do, they do. Well, I mean that's. Obviously, I don't know who created it, but uh, yeah, they do. They do gravy and cheese and 
chips and but they do actually with like a lot of other stuff pulled pork is a famous one they do with. oh really oh i'll have to try yeah. that <laughs> yeah, exactly. so these are all the fantastic things you find when you are uh, oh yeah when you when you ride north before they build the wall you should try <laughs> <and get off. laughs> so when when you're in the like in the back country like you're out in the middle of nowhere miles and miles from anything well what did you do about meals then um well i mean generally each day or every second day you would have to be somewhere close to casa um, you know, with the speed triple, I'd get about 200 miles to a tank, probably 50 to 60 miles a gallon, you know, depending on riding, uh-huh. um, and fuel quality and stuff. So, um, you know, every second day we had to be near some kind of civilization. Okay. Um, so really, you know, there was a couple of times we knew we were going to be kind of doing a little bit of off-roading and we would just buy sandwiches and stuff like oh, that. I I, I personally use a jet boil. Uh, a lot of people, you know, they've got some haters. They've got a lot of uh, fans. <laughs> but for me, the jet boil is fantastic. And, and, you know, after living in North America, I've become a bit of a coffee uh, addict. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Growing up in Australia, we dr- I drink a lot of tea. Okay. Uh, the British background. But, um, you know, after living here for four years, like, i got to have my coffee in the morning. You know? Oh, yeah. So, so for me, and actually very much courtesy of a friend of mine, uh, Chris, out in Ukiah, I, I've discovered the technique of sitting in my hammock in the morning, rugged up into my sleeping bag, and having everything laid out perfectly uh, so I can make my coffee in the morning. Oh, there you go. See, a real simple step process, and you're done. So with a jet boil and my AeroPress, I'm covered. You know, I can pour the grinds in, water goes in, plunge it i'm good to go <laughs> perfect awesome so, I mean, with, with a coffee and a cliff bar you can usually make your way to the oh, next tent that does not sound like a real pleasant breakfast not at all <laughs> my idea of a nice breakfast is some eggs and a boatload of bacon yeah but uh you know in the back country you've got to be careful because if you're eating that in canada the bears will also be uh you know well, yeah. you. well let's talk about that did you run, have any run-ins with wildlife uh, this trip, not uh, not specifically this trip. I mean, uh, apart from the mosquitoes on the Baja um, and right around Mexico, there was um, you know a few snake incidents where there was <laughs> snake camp. But uh, big hairy animals, I was the hairiest thing I saw. So oh well, that's good. But um, I have actually had um, my backpack stolen by a, a brown a black bear up in. Um, up in British Columbia, from underneath me while I sleep. So, really, uh, that's uh, it's something you have to be careful of. At the time, maybe I wasn't as um, you know pedantic about cleaning up and stuff. I thought I had a really good routine for organizing my things, but uh, definitely now I pay special attention to cleaning and putting my stuff away and uh-huh. where I and and not leaving a granola bar in my backpack. Is, so, uh, so you were sleeping. And a, a, a black bear came up and took your backpack while un, from underneath you. Were you laying? Were you laying on your backpack, or was it? Or you were in a hammock and it was under you? I was in my hammock, and the, you know, I was about I was a couple of feet off the ground, and uh, I had my my little backpack, you know, just sitting there with change of clothes, and um, <laughs> you know, my, usually I keep my rain shell in there with a few bits and pieces, pocket knife and stuff. Um, yeah, but, uh, I mean, I knew the bear was in the area because that night when I was cooking my sausages on the fire, um, <laughs> I, the, the bear surprised me. <laughs> like, it came up, and bears are very sneaky animals. Like, they're not they're not as loud as you may think. And, um, you know, it startled me because the bear was only probably five or so yards behind me and he was just sniffing around for some sausages <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's make sausages in bear country that's uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. at the time i was riding my KLI. i had all kinds of kitchen stuff with me <laughs> um, yeah and so the bear you know he was coming up because he thought he could have some share some sausages with me and um and i just kind of said hey bugger off you know like don't uh, you know, kind of tried to you could tell he wasn't an angry bear he no. was just like he was he was hungry and I was hungry too, but he wasn't getting my sausages. So, <laughs> <laughs> were you willing to fight to the death for those sausages? 
know, you don't go between an Australian and his barbecue. You know? <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Even so, if you're a big bear or not. So, <laughs> so the bear, he ran away, but I saw him in the bushes. He was watching me. Oh, yeah. I bet you. Oh, wow. So there he goes. <laughs> so I was looking, okay. at your, looking at your website, and I see you got a bunch of sponsors up there. Why don't you tell us about that? I mean, what have they, did they, your sponsors help you out during this journey? Um, yeah, I mean that's that's something that's grown for me over the over the years and through social media and obviously um, I've had the opportunity to to ride with a lot of these people who you know companies like Climb and Green Chili Adventure Gear. These guys, you know, being uh, North American companies, a lot of them uh, are affiliated with some of the events and stuff. But um, I, I really am surprised as much as anyone when you know, especially when people ask about sponsorship and, and I just kind of say, well, you know, for me, I'm riding full time. So, um, it's a big part of my lifestyle to, to be able to test a lot of this gear. And, right. um, you know, I used to ride mostly off road. Now it's kind of 50, 50. Um, so I, I really have to adapt things. There isn't a huge market that supplies towards, um, road and off road, you know, right. generally Generally, companies will try and target one or the other. Okay. Um, dual sport in America has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, fortunately, you know, some of these guys have really supported me and uh, they've endorsed me, you know, and they believe in what I'm doing. So, you know, I get to represent some really fantastic companies. You know, obviously, anyone who sort of has followed me on social media, they, um, they're familiar with my setup is quite unique. Um not only with my motorcycle, but with my gear that I choose to ride. Yeah. Um, you know, typically you'll see adventure riders, they have, you know, quite heavy, heavy jackets, um, pants, because you have to be prepared for a lot of different environments. Sure. If you're going to do a round the world trip, you're going to encounter almost every condition known to man in almost every environment known to man. And as you all know, uh, weight is a huge, oh, yeah. uh, Part of what we, we're you know trying to develop things that you minimize your weight because if you go down, you know yeah. every pound. Yeah, um, pick that up. So for me, I, this trip, um, I'm not sure if anyone else has done it. I haven't been able to find anyone, but for me, I, I wanted to be able to work on a layering system. So um, personally, I I wear an icebreaker base layer. It's a fantastic merino wool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obviously, um, anyone who's worn it skiing or backcountry hiking, it's super lightweight, breathes amazingly, it wicks away moisture and mm-hmm. uh, it's antibacterial. So, you know, I can uh, go back to the story where I was leaving Castlegar, riding into Salt Lake City 10 days later, and I hadn't changed any of my clothes. So, you know, not many people would wear 10 <laughs> days of the same clothes riding uh, off-road and in the backcountry and uh, be okay with that, you know. Oh, yeah. So so for me, the base layer was really important because it insulated me because uh, I also wear desert desert clothes, you know, like mm-hmm. the uh, sort of Dakar riders wear in the Mojave Desert, motocross riders. Sure. Uh, you know, it's a mesh shirt, mm-hmm. so it offers no real wind resistance or warmth. It breathes incredibly well. You know, climb. They designed it to be used for off-road, and um, and on a side note, I, I actually originally used this idea for a trials bike, a Guinness World Record that I was filming for, and uh, you know that's a whole different story. Yeah. But uh, but I, so I, I really had all this gear to do something that was incredibly challenging, but yeah. it needed to be able to to breathe, but also you know protect me against the weather. So. Um, over the top, I, I really use a really lightweight, um, like a helium shell. It's done by Outdoor Research, mm-hmm. and it's super lightweight, very compactable. I've ridden in rain, storms, showers, snow, everything, and I've stayed completely dry using this this system. So, I mean, for me, that kind of three layer system, and I, I use a um, like a really lightweight. Outdoor research um, hiking jacket. It's a hybrid, so it's kind of wind resistant to keep me warm. And that's the only 
gear I have on me on the whole bike. So wow. I have to be prepared, you know, although I have to sometimes take something on and off. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm quite confident in its ability to keep me warm, keep me dry, keep me cool when I need to be. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's something I really try to work with and develop and I want to get more into doing some of those things um, with the companies. Um, but also, you know, like the sponsors, yeah, they, they provide me with some of the gear, but um, I try and give them really accurate feedback about, you know, I'm not just here to sell them, you know, like I yeah. want to be able to give them ideas. I mean, the, the backpack that I used was a, a Krieger backpack developed uh, for sports bikes. Right. And obviously, adventure biking and, and uh, sports touring is, is quite different. You know, and I've come up with a bunch of suggestions um, for Krieger to develop something, and and hopefully uh, they take that into account. And you know, that there there is access for adventure riders with this really quality gear in the future. Okay, because uh, you have some of your your sponsors are Kenda Tires, Outback Motor Tech, uh, Krieger, and Climb. Outdoor Research, White Case Infinite Power Sports, Green Chili Adventure Gear, which sounds like a fun company. And then you got Backroad Map Books. Uh, and they seem to be, they're treating you well, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, they've been fantastic. And I mean, for me, having the support of these guys and, and, and building the community, I mean, it's, it's very important for me to right. sort of stress that, you know, I really want to build motorcycling around North America. And even though it's not, my country of origin it's it's a really great community to be a part of and you know the sponsors uh they see that if it's good for me and it's good for motorcycling and they're making a good product then it's helping uh sell you know at the end of the line like they're they're trying to run a business and obviously um you know for me being able to support their gear and really help there and and test it in the environment that uh these guys use it in yeah Uh, well, it's yeah, good. You know, it's, it's good for you, and it's good for them. You know, it, it, it kind of it helps. It helps us, and it helps the whole com- community. Yeah, I mean, to not everything's perfect, and a lot of this gear is quite new. Adventure motorcycling is, you know, compared to a lot of the different genres of of uh, motorcycles, it's it is typically quite new. Um, so, you know, they're they're making new things, uh, making progress all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're trying to develop stuff that makes it easier for us to get out there. So, right. you know, being able to, to give an honest opinion and, um, you know, and also be able to provide them with things that so people can see me in the backcountry using this gear and, and, and how it wears and, uh, you know, just be able to pro- provide them with accurate information, I think, is, is a huge tool for these guys to, um, to help everyone out. Sure. Do you have a favorite piece of gear? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I, I would have really struggled without uh, the Green Chili Adventure Gear. You mentioned, like, that's a really fun company. But with it, without those guys to um, to support me and, you know, for me to trial the, the soft rising, uh, so, the uprising soft rack, sorry, um, that really put the bike uh, in the adventure category because then I could store my gear. Right. I could ca- carry things. It gave me so many options in luggage. Um, so really for me, that's what set my bike apart. You know, like the tires are a big thing, but right. you have to carry something here and, and be confident that when you're off road, you're not going to lose. You're not going to lose anything, right? <laughs> I mean, you're out there and your bag gets sucked into a tire and you lose something like that can be the difference. You know, trip can be over. You say that like you have experience with that. So yeah, I've, you know, I've been around. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't all. Thing and I, the, the soft rack. I had uh, bungee cords, you know that um, you know they can be a, make a trip an interesting adventure. <laughs> so listen, tell us about this foundation that you've been riding for. Um, so, you know, I, I talked sort of briefly about the um, about the rides I did through Asia, and we were kind of very amateur back then, and we, we didn't really get too involved. It was something that we wanted to develop more, but as you know, life in your 20s can be quite exciting. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> up all over the place. But, um, you know, when, when I got to be involved with the community and, and riding, um, especially here in North America, you start to, to see, like, there's a really big market for, um, you know, just involving yourself. So 
Um, a big part of that for me was noticing some of the social issues and uh, riding around North America for the last few years, I've realized, you know, mental health is a huge topic and uh, being being involved in specifically in Canadian um, communities, I've I've realized the impact that drugs and mental health has. um, Obviously, raising awareness is a big one, but Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to raise money and fund some of the um, studies done to sort of ease those social issues is a massive one. So the um, Canadian Mental Health Association is uh, just the most obvious choice for me because, you know, I want to be able to, to help people with depression and different mental illness, um, but also the drug problem. Um, you know, most people have been touched. If you really think about your friends, most people know someone with depression or, you know, who have been involved with drug problems. Sure. The uh, sort of um, byproducts of that. So, um, it's it's a huge part of motorcycling for me. Um, it's something that uh, recently I've done a couple of rides, uh, and I'm trying to organise one at the moment, which is um, associated with the Vancouver motorcycle community, and um, yeah, and just just trying to promote, promote um, the, the possibility and the opportunities that exist out there. So, you know, maybe it's not something that. I, I do exclusively, but even just to, to raise people's awareness about it and to get more people involved is is a big step. So That's what it's all about, awareness. So tell us what is next for Glenn Baker. Well, the first step for me is getting my residency. I mean, it's, uh, it's not a huge uh, motorcycle plan, mm-hmm. but uh, I definitely have a bunch of other rides. Um, I, I touched briefly on the Guinness World Record attempt with a... Um, the world's longest journey by trials motorcycle. Uh, really? I filmed, um, I filmed uh, some promo videos and had a production company um, organized, and we we spent a whole winter organizing a um, a ride from Canada to Mexico entirely off road. And um, I had uh, all registered with the Guinness World Records um, to do that. Unfortunately, that wasn't uh, to be. <laughs> I spent uh, a lot of time. There's always next time. There is, and I mean, maybe that information goes to someone else who can who can do it. But okay. um, for me, really riding um, some of these some of the uh, trails that have been built around America, like the Divide Trail, the Trans America Trail, all the backcountry discovery routes as well. You know, they're all a radar. Um, it's hard. I really want to make this something that I do with a group of guys or just one or two guys. Okay. Uh, you know, to, to really get out there and experience the backcountry. But um, trans-Canadian, you know, there's the list goes on. But uh, it would be a, a, a massive one for me to, to drop a trials bike in Newfoundland and ride across the uh, Newfoundland Trailway, which is uh, about 600 miles, I think it is, wow. of, uh, of trails across Newfoundland. So um, that's something that I'm trying to do. That would, as far as I know, be a Guinness World Record um, for the trials industry. So, um, you know, just trying to be involved in doing new things, but also, you know, I really want to get involved with the discovery routes and some okay. of the current trials that uh, exist. Right. Have you made it into the Arctic Circle yet? Um, no. <laughs> well, there you go. Hey. I haven't put it up there. I That's your next trip. Freedom, but, uh, Take the speed triple and head north. Yeah, there's a lot of road out there, and uh, you know, nowhere is somewhere I don't want to go. <laughs> I would travel anywhere. Yeah, um, to do another tour of Europe. Obviously, there's um, some Facebook groups. The uh, Trans European Trail is something that's being developed at the moment. So, you know, wow. how much time to ride? You know, like so. Those are things that um, I'm only 32 years old now. So. I think I started. You got quite a lot young. in front of you, man. You got a lot in front of you. That's awesome. I'm due. I'm due back in Australia later this year, so um, maybe I'll hook up with a couple of adventure buddies out there and um, do some Australian riding. Um, obviously, video is kind of coming into my plethora of skills that I'm teaching myself. Good. I recorded about 500 gig of video from the uh, North America trip. Oh, you do have some video on your website. 
there's there's a few little things, um, just kind of snippets of uh, little parts. Um, I really that's something I'm just touching on right now. So sure. yeah, so so there's a lot to look forward to as far as motorcycle riding goes for me. Oh yeah, have you had, did you have you had the chance to meet Rosie or ride with her? Uh, yeah, we've we've met a few times. So it was a couple of years ago in the cusp at the uh, at the Horizons Unlimited meet that that we actually met, and I met uh, Alex. Obviously, um, he's you know famous from the world's most famous selfie video. <laughs> but um, but yeah, Rosie and I have stayed in contact the last couple of Excellent. years, and we we met up. Uh, obviously, she just returned from a big trip as well, and yep. she's not too far away. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that we do something in the future, of course. Um, I'm open to, to anything, so I'm kind of you know, keeping it out there. Right. So how can people follow you, get in touch with you, and see all the crap that you're doing? Well, there's a lot of crap to do. So um, <laughs> anyone wants to be a part of it, obviously, you know, I've um, been pretty pretty active on social media, um, ideally, you know, through the Facebook page um, with West Coast Wanderer, through Instagram, West Coast Wanderer, um, West Coast Wander on YouTube, on Twitter. Um, you know, if you're able to, to link to those, that would be great. But, uh, you know, wherever you can find me, get mm-hmm. in touch. And if you've got any questions, yeah, I'm always, uh, always out there to help out. So it's a westcoastwanderer.org, and there's links to your YouTube page, your Instagram page, Facebook, and uh, management page. Uh, there and that's where all your videos are and everything about you is right there on westcoastwanderer.org pretty much right. I mean yeah there's a lot out there but uh, of course if anyone is involved and wants to, to ride as well I'm always keen to meet up so get Great. in touch well if you ever find yourself on the east coast of the US by all means please look me up and we'll go ride I don't know that we're going to hit any dirt roads not too many in Jersey but you never know <laughs> I'm always uh, willing to try new things, yeah. Glenn, thank you very much for being on the Motorcycle Men podcast. I really appreciate it. You take care of yourself and you ride safe, sir. Yes, Ted. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to this episode 99 with the West Coast Wanderer, Mr. Glenn Baker. So make sure you take some time and check him out on his website and see what he's up to and where he is headed. Don't forget to check out our friends over at Loud Pipes Podcast, The Throttled Podcast, Motorcycles and Misfits, Cleveland Moto, Motorific, Cafe Racer Podcast, and of course, The Wheel Nerds. And when you do check them out, let them know that you heard about them from here. The Motorcycle Men Podcast told you to go check them out. And for you video nerds, make sure you go check out Del Boy's Garage on YouTube. You'll learn something there and let him know that we told you to come there, all right? Uh, All of these podcasts and many more out there like that do great things to promote and encourage our sport and our passion. So please uh, patronize them when you can and as much as you can. Don't forget that the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge is in full swing. So be sure to check that out on the Motorcycle Podcasters Facebook page and see how the challenge is going between all the podcasts that are involved. So, yeah, go over there and check that out, and then you'll get to see who's involved and how it's going and the scoring is happening and all that. Okay, also look at our sponsors, Love Jugs. Cool off your big twin with Love Jugs. I have them. I use them. They keep my bike cool. All right, and they work. Uh, that's Love Jugs, love-jugs.com. And, of course, Zero 3D, providing you with top-quality accessories, comfort and performance parts for your big twin that's zero 3d.com and of course our new friends over at uclear digital uh contact dave over there at uclear digital let them know that the motorcycle men sent you i've been using the uclear amp system amp plus system and i have to tell you you're not going to find audio quality this good if you like to listen to music while you ride if you like if you need to make phone calls this is the system for you. You're not going to believe the audio quality that comes out of these speakers. So check them out. It's Uclear Digital. Great stuff. Don't forget to get your leather on with Surefire Designs. Contact Joe G over there and get the custom lids for your bagger. Sims Designs. You call up our buddy Jim up there and your bike ain't cool until it's Sims Designs cool. Get some hydrographics done on your bike and your accessories. Get your blow dryer hydrographic. How about that? 
All right. And of course, you want to get hold of our, our good buddy Dave Ackerman over at Tobacco Motorwear out there in California and get some yourself some Kevlar lined jeans. And they got this real badass Kevlar lined California riding shirt. That's some really cool stuff. So check them out and let them know that the motorcycle men sent you. All right. Tune in next week when we go live for our 100th episode on Thursday, July 6th at 8 p.m. All right, we got some uh, things planned. We're going to go over some cool stuff, and this is our 100th episode. This is pretty big. All right, from Tim Buck 2, Chris the Joker, and me, Ted, your host, Wrong Way, thank you very much for listening to the Motorcycle Podcast. This was episode number 99 with the West Coast Wanderer himself, Glenn Baker. This has been the Motorcycle Men Podcast, where we say stupid crap so you don't have to. Ride safer, kids. <laughs>